Hello, everyone, and welcome to Secrets of Saturn. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. Once again, I had a problem with Restream, and I thought I had it defeated this time, but to no avail. It duplicated again, and I got rid of the duplicate, and it still screwed it up all up anyway, so I don't know. I'm going to have to go through all the settings, and there's things like stream keys and all this other crap that I just don't know what they are very well, so... Anyway, some work ahead of me there. Sorry about that once again for the umpteenth time, folks, but regardless, here we are. Okay, so on this week, I am joined by Wayne McCroy, Crow777, my better half Rose, and Karen B is with us. I'm not sure for how long, but maybe for a little while, maybe for a long while. But I thought I'd bring Karen on at least for the beginning so she can talk about the awesome event going on this weekend. Karen, take her away. Why, thank you, Jason. Um, this weekend, we are having another event. It's called Solar Return Celebration, and it's going to be at the same location as Flatoverfest in Greenville, South Carolina, at the Greenville Shrine Event Center. Um, the website you can go to to get all the information is flatearthfestivals.com. And in the menu there, you'll find links to the Solar Return event. Uh, giving you all the information for tickets and who's going to be there. But we have a whole bunch of stuff there. This one is based around music and art. So it's all live music and there will be um, art on display and various other miscellaneous things going on too. Too much to list. <laughs> so that's what we've got going on. Jason's going to be playing live. Um Chief Crow and the Flat Earthworms and ODD TV and One Big Love and Christian Knapp and, and Baldini's going to be there noodling and he's hosting a jam session, like an open jam session. So that'll be fun too. And I'm also going to get to premiere a brand new song from Conspiracy Music Guru. So he uh, sent me a new video that I'll be playing. That's going to be fun. So yeah. you have heard it, Karen, then. Yes. Join the club. If you imagine how I felt the past couple of months. I wanted to do it on the 27th instead of the 29th so that I can, like, you know, sing along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be it's going to be a really good time. It's going to be uh, like a huge ener energy release. I think it'll be great. This is not formal. This is not about being lectured at or watching presentations. This is about art, music, celebration, fun, creativity. So it's going to be a blast. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It, it. The more casual thing should be should be uh, interesting because we don't have to worry about being so. <sighs> Well, I guess we have to be on our game because, uh, especially me, because I actually have to perform and not screw up. But <laughs> it'll be cool because it'll be more of a, uh, a get together and everybody's energy syncing together as opposed to rapidly paying attention to information being conveyed. 
Yes. It, it's definitely going to be a way, you're, it's going to be much more easier to pay attention to each other than the stage. Even though there's music playing, it's, it's you know what I mean? You I guys mean, tell it like it is. It's going to be a freaking party, right? <laughs> it's going to be a freaking party. It's going to be so much fun. It's the definition of what a party or what a party should be. So if you've never experienced a party and you want to know what it is, this is that. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, I know we're not doing like people talking on stage and things like that, but are any of the key figures that a lot of people like to listen to going to be there as well? Because I, I never really asked. Are a whole bunch of people that uh, I, I love and respect also going to be in attendance just to be there? Um, yes. Yes. Uh, Bob's going to be there. Uh, actually, Cami and Zach are going to be doing their How the World Works exhibit like they had at Flattoberfest, they're going to do that again here at the Solar Return because everybody loved it. It was a huge, it was just one of the best. Everybody had a lot of interest in it because of all the little science stuff there and they were learning about how things could work in our geocentric realm and they loved it. So that'll be there. Um, so yeah, there's going to be a lot of people there. And I'm assuming tickets are still available, right? Yes. Cool. Yes. Well, Flattober Get tickets at the door too. Okay, so it's it's an it's an open uh, open room, I guess you would say. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. Flattoberfest was definitely a success, and as long as this one is also a success, that means we can keep doing these things because that's everyone out there telling us, "Hey, we want you to do these things," and I'm happy to take a part as long as you want me to. Awesome. Yeah, man, and it's great that the Shriners let you use their gigs there because Shriners love to party for sure. Oh, they yeah, and they they love us. <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably love your money. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they do. But but after Flattoberfest, they the women there, they were like, everybody is so nice. I can't believe how nice y'all are. <laughs> because it, that's how it is. Everybody, you know, has respect for other people. <laughs> you know, when we get into bit large groups, because we all have appreciation for each other and what we're here for. Well, so. everybody was super chill and, and happy to be together, especially after the last year. Holy shit. But, but I mean, it, it was just, I've never felt so much awesomeness. It's it's very different than when you go to a professional function or even a uh, a more professional kind of show at a club or concert. It, it, there's always this kind of us and them thing, like there's the people on the stage and then there's the audience. It wasn't like that. It's like, sure, there are people on the stage and there are people giving their, their presentations and all that, but it... It wasn't like that. Like, it was amazing. Like, I couldn't walk across the room without somebody wanting to give me a hug or say hello. Like, it was wonderful. I loved it. Yes. Yep. And we're going to do that again. <laughs> Absolutely. And I hope this one is a success so that we can do it again in a couple of months because I love these kinds of things. And this is my first time I've actually performed in literally years in front of an audience. <clears throat> so if it goes well and people like what I do, I am kicking around the idea of doing like a house show tour kind of thing. Let's not knock over the water bottle, Jason. Let's put that out of the way. Because yeah, I, water I, bottles and computers don't go well together. They, they don't. They don't. I completely agree. But, uh, you know, I want something out of all this to 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 blossom if if you know what i mean like like if people like what i'm doing here and this doesn't mean other people can't even do it with me but i want to go to places uh maybe 20 30 people 
or more if they can fit, uh, do the thing I do with, with the acoustic thing, but tie it into all of the rest of the, the podcast and the information and have great conversation and maybe even live stream some of them just so that other people can be involved. I don't know. I'm kicking around these ideas. So if anybody likes my way of performing, the songs that I write and that kind of thing at, at the event, let me know. I want to think about possibly doing more of this kind of thing. Uh, it actually won't even be on the scale that that this would be, which I'm assuming is going to be a couple hundred people. This will probably be more small and intimate things until things open up. I mean, if it gets big enough that we could do it at a, a club or something like that, well, that's cool, but I'm not even worried about that yet. I'm thinking more like my acoustic guitar, my little Bose system, and I play, and we, we all talk, and if Crow wants to join in on Skype, if he happens to be around, we could do that. That kind of thing. So anyway, let me know what you think, folks, and we'll, we'll take it from there over the next couple of weeks. But I would love to go out start and starting to meet with people and getting together and see if we can build this community more because I am completely opposed to every single thing that these assholes did to us the past year plus. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it, they've made it to where we even – even before, it was already hard for for us to go out into the general public and enjoy it because people are so brainwashed in general before this. Now, it's downright impossible. It's just impossible. So we need to build our own stuff. We need to make our own stuff and get away from that garbage. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is just it. And this even ties in with some of the things I talk a lot about, uh, all the nerd channels that I watch and things like that. The, uh, the crazies out there are destroying everything on purpose. It's all about propaganda now. And the one thing that I keep thinking about, and I'm hearing some of them start to get this in their heads too, start making your own shit. If Star Wars sucks, make your own universe. Start writing. I mean, there are so many talented people out there. If you're an artist, maybe you can make a comic book. If you're a filmmaker, maybe you can shoot a pilot of your own. Whatever it happens to be. Uh, podcasting. Every, anybody can do podcasting these days. A hundred bucks gets you a good enough mic to do podcasting. Even just not even like major production stuff. Just the more voices, the better. Because the one thing I have noticed over and over and over again when I look at what's going on out there, everybody's got their own take on things and somebody might find one person's way of doing things better than another's. And it's all about just building community and getting the information out there because there's so much bullshit that's bombarded at us daily that I've, I've had enough of it. I, I'm on the attack now. Yeah, exactly. I'm done. Cause obviously it's not going to get any better, right? It's not going to get any better. So, well, before we move on to the document, let's, let's just tie this up with this. Does everybody remember an event in September about 20 years ago? Did any of that go back to quote unquote normal? No fucking way. Whatever they took nope. from us, we never got back. So if We're anyone hasn't considered this yet. Still getting molested. I still got to get um, EMF irradiated every time you go through the airport. Got to take off your stupid shoes every time you go through the airport. Gotta yeah. uh, pour out your water bottle and then buy another more shitty water bottle that has fluoride. More expensive. In it. <laughs> mm -hmm. the, the, the whole thing's just ridiculous. Absolutely. So no, you are never getting back rights, if you want to call them that, from any governing body that took them away from you. You're screwed. They're not doing it. The only way that anything's going to change is if we fight back. But that being said, we can do our own stuff. We don't need you. We don't need your stupid airlines. You cannot force us to wear masks. Fuck off. We're going to just do things on our own. As far as the airlines concerned, I would love for 
private pilots to start working with people so that things can be made more affordable. Like, okay, if everybody wants to go here, we can we can coordinate so that if this is affordable to pay for the gas and give the pilots some money, like all that kind of stuff. There are mm-hmm. so many of us that we could make a difference. We don't need their systems. This is the one thing that everybody needs to get. If Star Wars sucks, don't watch Star Wars. If Star Trek sucks now, don't watch Star Trek. There's plenty of shit out there that we can enjoy <laughs> entertainment-wise or go to. Like, we can't go to major concerts but from a major label. Who cares? Most of those artists are freaking sold out satanic retards anyway that's right <laughs> that's right so that's anyway i'm gonna stop ranting like about that anybody got anything they want to say about that before we get into the document we're gonna break down yeah um everybody playing music at solar return is not a satanic brainwashed retard so i should hope nobody that. is uh, I, the music i write <laughs> is my idea that I had, the, the, the group of songs that I'm constantly adding to now that I started a few years back when I, I started a music project that I called Cult of Saturn. The reason why I called it Cult of Saturn is because there is a Jordan Maxwell video I watched a billion times year, for, for the however many years. It's been out for a long time now, like probably like 20 years by now. And I was like, that's a cool name. It sound, everybody who knows me knows that I'm like in love with the, the decade of the 60s, even though I know so much of the propaganda behind it. I like the decade. I like the music. I like the vibe. I, I like the clothes. Like That's just, I like it a lot. And I was like, that sounds like a cool trippy 60s name, but it also has a meaning. So my idea always has been, if I call a music project that and someone hears one of my songs, they might Google Cult of Saturn. And while they may or may not find the music, but what else are they going to find? You're going to find out who the cult of Saturn is. There's a good chance. And that's what I want. It's It was almost like a trick, a good trick, a positive trick. Go in, find this information, start learning. You're like, what the hell is the cult of Saturn? Oh, my God. So that's what I, I started to, to do with the whole music side of it. And then the songs themselves, I try and lace in imagery and words and symbolism and things to get people to think in that way. And then, of course, I started doing the podcasting thing. Uh, I started Secrets of Saturn a couple years back until I hooked up with Crow. And then that, thankfully, has shot into the stratosphere. So there we go. That's that's my whole plan. And I really kind of put my music on the sidelines for years. And I, I sincerely miss being a musician and if people like what I do I mean if you think I'm suck then obviously I can't do this but if you like what I do and we can start doing things and tying these things together it's what I always wanted to do it's it's a huge passion of mine we'll see what happens that's so great I'm glad that um, you're getting back into it and also like for myself I was big into art and I did, used to draw and paint a lot years ago and then for years I just was not into it I just wasn't motivated or inspired to do art again and now I've been painting again so I have a bunch of paintings and stuff that I'll have at Solar Return as well so awesome it's a great thing see that it, it, it's these things like you get so bogged down in life that you put things that you're absolutely passionate on the side uh, for instance Crow Triple Seven plays mandolin he also plays guitar but lately he's been having a passion for mandolin how's the mandolin playing Crow? Well, since Blix came <laughs> into my life, uh, it's been a lot. As a matter of fact, I just picked it up two nights ago for the first time in about four months. Um, and I was just learning back then, so I, I forgot everything I had to remember again. But um, he's getting older now, and he'll chill probably in another <clears throat> six months. <clears throat> Excuse me, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd rather play mandolin. I'm just tired of all the programmed-out music that I grew up with. Um, so I started going back to, like, 
real Americana music, um, just because I like to hear people jam. Yeah, and that's what I want to do. And the big thing I really want to do, I didn't even mention this, is I'm just doing this solo acoustic because I'm my own singer-songwriter. I want to do this as a full rock band. That's always been my passion. I haven't been in a rock band in years. The last thing I did was before I moved to Louisiana 10, 11, whatever it was, years ago. I played. I actually filled in on bass in my friend's cover band because he needed somebody. That's not even an instrument I really enjoy playing all that much, but it was at least it was something to get out and do. So yeah, I would love to find musicians who are totally awake to things. This is it. I, I can't just go join a cover band. I could probably find a million bands to get into in southern Louisiana, but I don't I don't want to be around a bunch of druggies and, and drunks and all that kind of stuff who just want to play shitty covers. I want to do the music I'm writing that's supposed to be about a positive enlightenment kind of thing. That's everything I do in my life. I try to be about positive awareness and, and taking people to a higher-minded place. As Kroner and I are always saying, it's all about the higher-mindedness. All right, so let me pull up this document. Oh, you know what? I did the same mistake I make every week. I never found a link to give to everybody. So I'm going to look for a link. The document this week is called The Agenda Setting Function of Mass Media, because that never happens, right? Uh, this is an article in Public Opinion Quarterly from June of 1972. So this is ages ago, uh, the year before I was born, in fact. But Wayne, this was your pick. So why don't you talk about this for a moment? I'm going to see if I can find a link for everybody. And let's take it from there. Okay. Uh, this one's called The Agenda Setting Function of Mass Media. It was written by Maxwell E. McCombs and Donald L. Shaw. And these guys, I believe, were both uh, professors uh, of journalism or some such thing um, at some major university. I don't remember which one off the top of my head. But uh, they uh, were talking about in this uh, article how the news media and the media in general can be used for setting agendas and putting ideas out there into uh, the public consciousness uh, in order to bring about societal changes uh, that uh, whatever the powers may be might be looking for, uh, whatever think tank groups or, or whatever uh, would want to bring you know into the public consciousness so that's kind of what this is about here tonight and it talks about some specifics of things and it talks about uh, all the different methods and, and platforms and tools that they use to do this so i thought this would be a good one to go through especially since it's from 1972 uh, you could see the long game being played here as always because that's what these people are about the long game uh, this stuff has been uh, going on from time immemorial um, there's always been these select few people in the world who understand human psychology really well and know how to steer the minds of the masses uh, through using these different kind of tools. And uh, the modern advent of mass media uh, is no different. In fact, it kind of put this whole operation of controlling people on steroids uh, when they were able to actually have printing presses and then uh, radio and then television and now the Internet. Uh, even though when they they did this uh, this article, the Internet wasn't even thought of yet. It wasn't even really a thing at that point. Even though we, we see that, that that's true, we could apply some of these same principles to the use of the Internet today or social media especially. Like that's kind of where I think a lot of the social media concepts got their start is through different kinds of studies like this that show, hey, how could we use these mass media outlets to achieve the things we want with altering the public's behavior? 
And uh, as we go through, we'll see exactly how they do it, uh, what tools they use to do it, and where some of these ideas come from. So uh, I don't think there's much more to really say to introduce this paper too much. Uh, I hope Jason found a link uh, to drop in the chat. I sure did. If it, uh, if it works, just let us know. I put it in the DLive and the YouTube. If it doesn't work, let me know. I'll dig up another one real quick. But I'm ready to start this unless anybody has any comments. Here we go. In choosing and displaying news, editors, newsroom staff, and broadcasters play an important part in shaping political reality. Readers learn not only about a given issue, but also how much importance to attach to that issue from the amount of information in a news story and its position. In reflecting what candidates are saying during a campaign, the mass media may well determine the important issues. That is, the media may set the agenda of the campaign. The authors are associate professors of journalism at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. So right off the bat, they're telling you the way it is, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, first sentence, they come right out. In choosing and displaying news, editors, newsroom staff, and broadcasters play an important role in shaping political reality. See, they're tell it's it, right in the first sentence. Who's the one that's setting the agenda? Who's uh, steering political views? Well, the media. That's exactly who. That's what their job is. They've gone from this function of being the fourth estate and just reporting the news and trying to keep uh, those people in positions of power honest and reporting on their misdeeds uh, to becoming the mouthpiece of the political set. And that's, that's what this is telling us in no uncertain terms right here. Well, they they showed that in a big way this last election cycle, didn't they? They kept saying the AP has called it. Well, good for you, AP, since when is the AP the fucking government? No, the Electoral College calls it. So we saw right off the bat that they were admitting that, hey, media controls things. If the media says it, it is so. Except that that's bullshit, of course. But see, that's the problem. People have it in their mindset because of the role the media has had in its early years of being the fourth estate and, you know, the watchdog of the people, uh, people trusted that. And that kind of got passed down from generation to generation that they trust this as a reliable source of information. And that being the case, uh, if the news says it, if the news media says it, it must be true. And that's just the mindset people have had because that's that's kind of the approach they've taken through the years is they, they slowly began to degenerate from uh, what I believe started out as something legit where there were investigative journalists and, and things like that that really went out and broke these major news stories and looked into corruption and all these different things. But those are long past now because now, you know, you don't get on the air unless you have the tacit approval of those people who call the shots, the, you know, the ones like the AP newswires of the world, the ones that actually write the script that they want passed on to the people. Okay. Which, which actually I could add, interestingly enough, when I went out to see if I could get a news reporter job, which I did, and actually on my first try I got it, uh, it wasn't long before I found that the only way you can get anything through the editors and published in print was to go to a search engine find the top trending stories using Bing, Google. There were three or four engines at the time. I think MSN was one. 
um, you deduce the five to seven keywords and then rewrite that story in your own words using the same words reorganized in the title and for the first two paragraphs the same, reiterating the keywords five to seven times throughout the whole thing. That is the only way and nobody knows who printed the first version. Um, so it's a it's an endless loop. And at this point, I would imagine many of the articles are being created by AI, uh, the first one that everyone copies from. Yeah, by the way, that's not just political news and things like that. For instance, like let's say you wanted to look up something about the new season of The Mandalorian. You'll see the same exact thing. If you, you put it in Google right. and you see the news, you'll see all these articles come up. I'll, I'll use a, a, a professional press shot from the Mandalorian and the titles will all be similar and then you go and read them and it's the same shit even though they're completely well, different uh, places that are publishing the, that, the article that is exactly why and by the way uh, I, the reason I did it is to see if I could get real news into the cycle which you can't um, because I was, <laughs> real I was active well I was active on my telescope so I figured this is firsthand, one of a kind what I do with my scope and so I'll report one of these. And so part of the rules was it has to be sourced from two trusted sources. So when I submitted my one-of-a-kind original first-hand news that I did behind my telescope, the editor would not approve it. And when I said, so there's no first-hand news can ever be approved here, he said, that's not true. Um, I said, well, I just submitted some, and you told me that it didn't have two trusted sources to back it up. And I said, it's impossible because there aren't two trusted sources with me when I'm using my telescope. Point is, um, you can't do it. You cannot add legitimate news into the mass media news cycle. So let's throw the question out there before we continue with this. When do you think journalism as a whole got a bullet in the head because back in the day there were people that did journalism and I'm well, sure that things were controlled well, but it's not to the point that it is now I'm sure it got worse as the decades went by but I'm kind of curious when when would he, when would we think that perhaps the last journalist was thrown out the window well there was always some but it was already in the bag to do World War II it had to be but if you go watch Citizen Kane voted the best movie of all time regularly uh, they tell you the truth there and they're telling you that people like what's the dude's name who owns the castle in california that i can't remember um the big news guy hearst yeah hearst yeah, yeah. so yeah. so the movie was was riffing on hearst not admitting that it was riffing on hearst but basically what he did is he got sick of not being able to get the political things he wanted. So he told his guys, go buy the 12 most influential papers in the country. This is early in the 1900s. So it shows you by the time the World Wars had come around, they already had pretty much what they needed in the bag. It just took them to about the 70s or 80s to put a bow on it. Well, we also know that right, by the end it? of World War One, Edward Bernays was already getting his fingers in the pie. That's right. true. And um, by the end of World War Two. Uh, the intelligence agencies had wormed their way into the news media outlets as well uh, with the rise and the advent of the OSS, which is the precursor of the CIA. Uh, so that in and of itself also uh, contributed to this. All right, I'll be back in a few minutes, guys. All right, I will continue on unless anyone else has anything else they want to contribute. In our day, more than ever before, candidates go before the people through the mass media rather than in person. And remember that this article came out in 1972. <laughs> that was a long time ago. The information in the mass media becomes the only contact many have with politics. 
the pledges, promises, and rhetoric encapsulated in news stories, columns, and editorials constitute much of the information upon which a voting decision has to be made. Most of what people know comes to them second or third hand from the mass media or from other people. Although the evidence that mass media deeply changes attitudes in a campaign is far from conclusive, the evidence is much stronger that voters learn from the immense quantity of information available during each campaign. People, of course, vary greatly in their attention to mass media political information. Some, normally the better educated and most politically interested, and those least likely to change political beliefs, actively seek information, but most seem to acquire it, if at all, with much, without much effort. It just comes in. As Berylson successfully, succinctly puts it, I don't know who that is, by the way, on any single subject, many hear, but few listen. But Berylson also found that those with the greatest mass media exposure are most likely to know where the candidates stand on different issues. Treneman and McQuail found the same thing in a study of the 1959 general election in England. Voters do learn. They apparently learn, furthermore, in direct proportion to the emphasis placed on the campaign issues by the mass media. Specifically focusing on the agenda-setting function of the media, Lang and Lang observe the mass media force attention to certain issues. They build up public images of, public, of political figures. They are constantly presenting objects suggesting what individuals in the mass should think about, know about, and have feelings about. Now let's just stop right there. Has anyone been hearing lately how there is some sort of crazy racist sort of things going on against Asians? It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. People generally adore Asians, not only for their food, but think about all the martial arts and the culture and things like that that are completely integrated in, into Western TVs and movies and things like that. The worst thing we do about Asians is make fun of their accents and for how bad they drive. I mean, the, the, the thought that Western people are racist against Asians is, quite frankly, quite frankly absolutely retarded. I, I'm going to agree with you, Jason. I, I was always thinking the same thing when they're coming out and they're like, oh, all this hate against Asian Americans and this and that. And I'm thinking, where? <laughs> you know, I've never, I've never seen never like in anywhere in my, my personal life where somebody has had any kind of racist tendencies towards an Asian person at all, uh, like anywhere. And like, uh, you know, there's there's quite a few uh with an Asian type background around in this area that I'm in now, um, as well as, you know, there's, there, it's, it's a very melting pot type of a, a community anymore. There's all, all different kinds around, but, uh, at any rate, I've never seen that. And I was always thinking the same thing. Where is this all of a sudden? And, and they're trying, you know what they're doing with that. They're trying to link it to this whole, uh, you know, uh, stupid beer bug nonsense because, uh, um, Trump came out and said something about uh, it being the quote the unquote China virus. China virus. China. Right. So <laughs> that's what they're trying to do. So they're trying to link this, uh, you know, uh, kind of an idea to that whole thing and, and make it look like just, you know, people in general are racist against all of these different races. And, you know, the most racist ones, of course, are, you know, these, these ones that refer to themselves as the elite or think that they're the elite, like the royal family. Uh, of England and, and the like of that. It doesn't get much more racist or elitist than them. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. But anyway, we could see how the media is used in order to push these different types of ideas. And that's exactly what's going on. And uh, 
you were talking earlier, Jason, in that paragraph about Burleson. Uh, Bernard Burleson was actually uh, a think tank operative. Um, you know, I don't remember where his education was from, but it says up here in the footnotes, uh, Bernard R. Burleson, Paul F. Lazarsfeld, and William N. McPhee voting Chicago University of Chicago Press, 1954. And it says, of course, to some degree, candidates have always depended upon the mass media, but radio and television brought a new intimacy into politics. So this was a guy that did a lot of uh, psychological studies and profiling on people uh, for a lot of different political motivations. And there, there's quite a few of them, that Paul Lazarsfeld guy too. That name uh, should be familiar with people as well. Uh, if you haven't heard of that, look up that guy, too, because the, these guys are into social engineering. Uh, that's that's what they do. These are ones that really operate in some of these more scientific think tank groups and, and look at different kinds of studies to try and uh, get to the nuts and bolts of, of how people think in political terms and things of that nature. So uh, that's kind of what's going on there. But, yeah, you could see uh, what they're saying here. They They could set these different functions of for with the mass media the, the things that they want uh so you know it says here the mass media force attention to certain issues well don't we see that every day in the news and if that one's not working they'll switch it up won't they <laughs> whatever the the issue is at the time that they want you to think about and in the meantime they go ahead and push through whatever other agendas that they want and it seems like they're starting to shift up the agendas now that they're pushing forward, these issues that they're pushing to the forefront of the news. Because I think, by and large, people are starting to see through it. It's been over a year of this stupid beer bug nonsense, and people are sick to death of it, and they see how retarded and absolutely uh, incomprehensible that it all is, that it, it just does not add up. So now they're trying to shift up these narratives to keep people in that fear state once again. And uh, how do they do that? Well, they play a couple different cards. They play the race card, and then they'll play the violence card because, you know, they, lo and behold, they just so happen to have uh, a new gun rights bill uh, going through the Congress right now. They want to do some legislation on gun control issues. So it's amazing how all these things always happen at just the right time for this stuff, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Ladies, anybody want to chime in on anything you're certainly welcome to all right i will continue then. oh go I, ahead. uh right when this all started right before i didn't even know about this shooting and i was scrolling through instagram and i see some one of my you know old friends post a thing that said stop asian hate i was so confused <laughs> <laughs> it's like what asian hate Exactly. I mean, when you're talking about this just doesn't happen. I was like, why is this person posting this? What happened? I, I And I am, immediately knew it had to be something from the news because, OK, I was like, well, that's because it sounds ridiculous, right? It sounded absolutely ridiculous. I was I, immediately I thought, OK, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one with that problem, Karen, honestly, because uh, I, it's kind of the same way for me. I'll be like scrolling through Facebook and I'll see something ridiculous on there like that. And then I think to myself, oh, no, what, what what's going on now? What kind of nonsense story are they trying to push now? <laughs> and then I got to go look and see what's this about. And, you know, because I, I try not to watch the television like at all. Uh, very rarely 
do I, I really sit down and watch something on the television, not on purpose anyway. Like we'll turn on the news or something just to see the weather. And all you hear is Corona, 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 vaccine, 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 vaccine. And it just drives me insane. So I drown it out. But uh, I mean, other than that, I, I really spend very little time looking at news stories because I know what they are. Uh, but sometimes you have to stay informed on these things so that, you know, when people ask you about them, you could say, hey, here's here's what my viewpoint is on this. Uh, and so you're somewhat aware of what's going on because, you know, these people in positions of power are going to push whatever agenda they see fit according to whatever this news story is. And that's the thing. They use it as a gauge for the population. Uh, it, it is an agenda setting thing. That is the function of media. That's exactly what it's for. And that's even the entertainment. That's not even to say just the news media is for this. It's all media. That's what it's used for. And I think they make it uh, clear in no uncertain terms in here that that's what it's for. And I think we'll get to that later on in the document. They, I think they talk about entertainment in here as well as being a, a source for uh, agenda setting. But uh, anyway, not to belabor that point for too long. Uh, we should probably get back to the document here because we haven't really gotten that far yet. No, but all well, the I points have already said. get back him. to the document because everybody knows that since you guys are white males, you're not allowed to talk about race or your feelings about race or have any opinion on anything that has to do with social issues. So what, we need a black no, guy? No, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, we're white males. We we have no say in anything. So, you know, that's all part of our white privilege. Okay, here we yes, go. Yes, your privilege is making me feel very uncomfortable. I'm going to have to drop <laughs> it, guys. I'm sorry. I had some people show up here. Oh, no it's problem. It's going to get loud. So I'll drop. I love you, Karen. Thanks for having me. I love you, too. And I'll see you guys this weekend. Peace out. Have Thanks. a great have night. Thanks night, for coming Karen. on. Thanks. All right, here we go. Perhaps this hypothesized agenda-setting function of the mass media is most succinctly stated by Cohen, who noted that the press may not be successful much of the time in telling people what to think, but it is stunningly successful in telling its readers what to think about. While the mass media may have little influence on the direction or intensity of attitudes, it is hypothesized that the mass media set the agenda for each political campaign influencing the salience of attitudes toward the political issues. Well, there's no doubt there. They, they certainly, especially nowadays, I, I mean, I'm not old enough to know what it was like in the early 70s, but nowadays they definitely put down, this is what the Democrats should think. This is what the Republicans should think. Who gives a shit about the Libertarians? They don't exist. Yeah, that's the truth. I mean, they, they, they give you two possible viewpoints, and that's all you're allowed to have. You could either have this viewpoint or that viewpoint. Pick one, and that's your choices. Uh, and that, that's a big problem because people are diverse. Uh, they have diverse opinions, diverse viewpoints. Um, you know, my viewpoint's not the same as yours, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, they, they try to box us all into this one box or the other box. And that's the thing. You back up your team, and it's the good old-fashioned tribalism, once again. And that's what it's about. And they, they do this in so many different ways, and it's classic Hegelian 
control tools. Well, we've said uh, this how many times, Wayne, that they, they always divide it down to two things. It's always red versus blue, which is Democrat, Republican, black versus white, uh, Islam versus like everything. It doesn't matter what it is. They always manage to pare it down to two things because that's easy to control. Well, right. everything, when you put it into a false dichotomy and, into, and give them only two options for the dumbed down mind, it's just easier. So they don't think of it as limited possibilities. They just think of it as an easy choice. And then they can just move on with their lives trying to, you know, make money so that they can pay their bills. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, well, they've really got it yeah, down as, from it. the political thing because they've got it down to CNN versus Fox News now, which is just <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. It's crazy how far they've been able to really push that whole uh, kind of a concept. But people really buy into it. They, they, they even they've gone so far now. It's either you're a Trump supporter or you're a Democrat. And that's your two choices. There's no Republican Party outside of Trump anymore. That's not even a choice. It's either you're you're one of those kooky Trump supporters and you have no brain or you're a Democrat. And that's the way that the media presents it to you. And, you I know, think it's even... Become, I think it's going to become, uh, oh, you're into the vaccine or you're a Trump supporter. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> how it goes. Everything is... See, Trump did his job for them masterfully, okay? He did his job masterfully. Nobody created more division than Trump in a, a four-year presidency term ever. And that's exactly what the guy was put there to do. He did his job for them well, and that's what people need to understand. He wasn't there trying to help the American people. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, uh, you know, it looked like he was this this dark horse or whatever because of the way the media went after him and the press attacked him, and you know, all the all the politicians were against him and stuff like that. That was all show. It's still all show. You notice that uh, you know nothing ever came of him being impeached again, right? It's the same thing. It's the same story over and over. Just like Hillary's still a free woman uh, from, you know, when he was going to win the presidency and he was going to lock her up. You remember that? It's you should be in same. jail. It's all theater. That's what he right. said. It's all theater. It's all theater. They're, they all work together. He did his job masterfully. He created division. He sowed the seeds of this dissent in this country for them. And the people bought into it hook, line, and sinker. And now they're using him as, you know, the the next butt of the joke uh, as it comes down to it. Because, like, Rose was just saying, oh, you're either, you either take the vaccine or you're a Trump supporter. <laughs> you're one of those idiots that, that supports Trump. See how they lump it all together into these two categories? There's your two options again. And it doesn't matter what the other side of the option is now, uh, what, what the other side is, right? It's going to be... You're a Trump supporter, so that re that represents everything bad in the public media, okay, in the public news media. So um, that's the way that they do it. So either you're in with your – you believe science or you're a Trump supporter. That's how they're going to do it. They're, they're going to frame the argument that way that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's become an insult for uh, the news media to call somebody that. And you could see how a lot of the public has really caught on to that whole – frame of mind and it's it's just it creates this false dichotomy like rose was saying and that's that's just how they operate things they keep these dichotomies going dichotomy two see two choices that's it they always narrow it down to these two choices and they put you in this box or that box and that way 
they could control you and lump you together with this group or lump you together with that group. And that's one of the uh, articles of power that they wield with this whole thing is by categorizing people in two different categories. And they always put it in two different categories, even though it may be different, uh, uh, what should we say, different issues per se, but they always create two sides on each issue and they're able to lump you into this one category in this issue. And then uh, your other affiliations with other issues, they could put you in this box and they use algorithms to figure out people's behaviors on a massive scale with this. Because if they know, say, you're anti-abortion and you're anti-vaccine and you're, um, say, uh, a religious person or something like that, uh, they categorize you that way. See, you, you click off these different boxes and in so doing, they could target you with algorithms because of that based upon your beliefs. They could know a lot of stuff about you just based on those couple things. And that's what it's all about. And that's why information is king right now. Uh, and that's that's what this whole uh, agenda setting narrative uh, of media is about, because they put this little hook out there for people to bite on. And even though it says here they know they could tell you what to think about, they may not be able to necessarily tell you what to think, but they could tell you what to think about. And that's the reason they do that. That's the bait. See, so then when you react to that. They know how you reacted to that and what your viewpoint is on that. So now they, they're able to put you in this category and put you in this little box and be able to better manipulate you down the road. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's just move on. I could say so much about it, but we still haven't gotten very far. <laughs> to investigate the agenda-setting capacity of the mass media in the 1968 presidential campaign, this study attempted to match what Chapel Hill voters said were key issues of the campaign with the actual content of the mass media used by them during the campaign. Respondents were selected randomly from lists of registered voters in five Chapel Hill precincts economically, socially, and racially representative of the community. By restricting this study to one community, numerous other sources of variation, for example, regional differences or variations in media performance, were controlled. Between September 18th and October 6th, 100 interviews were completed. To select these 100 respondents, a filter question was used to identify those who had not yet def definitely decided how to vote, presumably those most open or susceptible to campaign information. Only those not yet fully committed to a particular candidate were interviewed. Borrowing from the Treneman and McQuail strategy, this study asked each respondent to outline the key issues as he saw them, regardless of what the candidates might be saying at the moment. Interviewers recorded the answers as exactly as possible. You know, I remember this from back when Obama was running for the first time, and I remember there was a girl I worked with who was doing stuff for the Obama campaign. This is, this is after I was really getting pretty savvy with stuff. And I said, so, okay, you like Obama so much? And she's like, yeah. I was like, cool, what, what, are, what are his key issues? Name me one of them. Like, what, what does he represent? She's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, what is it about him that you really like? Like, tell me his key issues. What is he standing for that's so good? And she couldn't do it. It's the cult of personality. That that's, was it. That she it liked yeah. the idea behind this person, this this figure, this image, whatever you want to call it, being elected. And I did that just just for the point. I, I was hoping she would be able to actually throw a point or two at me, but nope. No, and that's sad to say. That's what the average American voter 
looks at is just the cult of personality. Oh, I like this guy. He's well-spoken or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, he's, he's smooth and charismatic. Uh, you know, he, he could talk a good game. Uh, not necessarily the issues they stand for. Uh, a lot of times they look at the personality or just the attributes of the person. And that goes on a lot in politics. Um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where it, it's kind of hard to put your finger on exactly what it is about a certain candidate uh, that appeals to people. But uh, the people who push that candidate forward know what it is that they're trying to present. And they do everything in their power to shed that uh, person in a, a very nice light. And that's what they do. And a lot of these people are pretty selected. We know that. Uh, you know, it's it's not a surprise if somebody like shows up at a Bilderberg meeting and then four years later they're running for president, uh, <clears throat> Bill Clinton. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's like things like that are, are it, it goes on quite frequently. But these people know what they're doing with the, you know, the use of the media as a tool to push these agendas forward. Right. Concurrently with the voter interviews, the mass media serving these voters were collected and content analyzed. Just remember, folks, data is everything, especially these days, because that's what drives their algorithms. A pretest in spring of 1968 found that for the Chapel Hill community, almost all the mass media political information was provided by the following sources. Durham Morning Herald, Durham Sun, Raleigh News and Observer, Raleigh Times, New York Times, Time Magazine, Newsweek Magazine, and NBC and CBS Evening broadca uh, News Broadcasts. The answers of respondents regarding major problems as I saw them in the news and editorial comment appearing between September 12th and October 6th in the sampled newspapers, magazines, and news broadcasts were coded into 15 categories representing the key issues and other kinds of campaign news. Media news content also was divided into major and minor levels to see whether there was any substantial difference in mass media emphasis across topics. For the print media, this major-minor division was in terms of space and position. For television, it was made in terms of position and time allowed. More specifically, major items were defined as follows. Number one was television. Any story 45 seconds or more in length and or one of the three lead stories. Number two was newspapers. Any story which appeared as the lead on the front page or on any page under a three-column headline in which at least one-third of the story, a minimum of five paragraphs, was devoted to political news coverage. Number three is news magazines. Any story more than one column or any item which appeared in the lead at the beginning of the news section of the magazine. Number four is editorial page coverage of newspapers and magazines. Any item in the lead editorial position, the top left corner of the editorial page, plus all items in which one-third, at least five paragraphs, of an editorial or columnist comment was devoted to political campaign coverage. Minor items are those stories which are political in nature and included in the study, but which are smaller in terms of space, time, or display than major items. So the findings... <clears throat> The overall major item emphasis of the selected mass media on different topics and candidates are displayed in the table that is in this document in case anybody wants to see it. 
It indicates that a considerable amount of campaign news was not devoted to discussion of the major political issues, but rather to analysis of the campaign itself. This may give pause to those who think of campaign news as being primarily about the issues. 35% of the major news coverage of Wallace was composed of this analysis. Has he a chance to win or not? For Humphrey and Nixon, the figures were, respectively, 30% and 25%. At the same time, the table also shows the relative emphasis of candidates speaking about each other. For example, Agnew apparently spent more time attacking Humphrey, 22% of the major news items about Agnew, than did Nixon, which were 11% of the major news about Nixon. The overall minor item emphasis of the mass media on these political issues and topics closely paralleled that of major item emphasis. All right, so a lot of this is on this particular table, so we should probably jump down, but anyone want to comment on that at all? Yeah, you could clearly see they've outlined these different criteria for these different platforms. First of all, television, newspaper, news magazines, editorial pages, newspapers, uh, this kind of thing. And they're saying they did an analysis of you know these specific sections or parts of the newspaper in, in very specific places. This is on the front page in the right column, uh, you know, five paragraphs or more based upon this. They know what they're doing. This is how they sell the news, okay? This is how they sell the narrative, the agenda. Uh, it's the placement of this. If it has a major headline in the newspaper and there's five paragraphs on the front page in the right-hand column uh, dedicated to it, it's going to have a psychological impact on people. That's exactly what they're talking about here. Uh, this is what it is. And if they devote more than 45 seconds in an, to it on television in the news piece and, you know, that kind of thing, it's going to have a very definitive psychological impact on people. They know this. And this is one of the ways that they shape people's thoughts and opinions. And they understand this. And that's exactly what it's talking about here. And this is actually a case study of that. And there's the data in these tables here if people want to look at it. Uh, they determined exactly what the people's attitudes were and how to control those attitudes and manipulate those attitudes in the future. That's exactly what they did there. Yeah, I agree. And I'm sure that these things have just gotten better and better over the years. Uh, let's go back to Bernays for a second. What, what was he always chumming up? Who was he always chumming up with, I should say? And that was the newspapers. Every time he wanted to set a major event in into the spin, let's say, uh, he always saddled up with the newspapers because he knew that the ding-dongs out there would buy it. It doesn't matter what what he was trying to say. Like like he was trying to sell cigarettes with, with, with women walking down the street, lighting their quote-unquote torches of freedoms. It wasn't about women's equality or anything like that, even though his own wife was into that. It was all about, oh, let's think of something cool to get people emotionally attached to sell more cigarettes for whatever it was, Lucky Strike or whichever company it was at the time. And it worked. Yeah. Hey, man, what kind of a, a grassroots uh, kind of a movement can we uh, latch on to to sell more stuff? That's what it is. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. He, he latched onto that whole thing and pushed it forward. Let's call it Torches of Freedom. Torches of Freedom. Yeah, that, that'll do it. And look at how much harm he did to the population at large oh, through God. that one campaign. Good God. And they and they learned from this stuff. They What Bernays figured out and I, I keep saying this over and over again, but I can't stress enough how important this is. They figured out that if you tie an emotion to whatever it is you're trying to push, whether it's a product or, or a concept, political, whatever, it doesn't matter. If you tie it to an emotion, 
well, you have such a such greater chance of success. And what is it that we saw the entire past year plus? It's fear, 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 one of the most powerful emotions there is. The one emotion I have to say that they can't really target very well other than in small parts would be love. It's almost always a negative emotion. Would, would you think that's true, guys? I would agree with that. I think it's easier for them to target the negative emotions because by and large, it's easier to invoke a negative emotion than it is a positive emotion. Just think about that for a second. It doesn't really take a lot to make somebody aggravated per se or to like you know get a response from them in that way or to make them fearful. Uh, you know, if if you could uh, say or do the right thing to invoke that response, it's it's a lot easier to get a negative reaction from people uh, than it is a positive one. It's it's much harder to get somebody to love you than it is to get them to hate you. Think about that. Yeah, when you have a negative emotion, you're more likely to react without discernment. Like if you're feeling happy and content, then you're more likely to sit and think about things before you do something. But if you're in a state of negativity like fear or anger, then you kind of get back into that animalistic mind. Right, that flight or fight response. Bingo. That's exactly what they're looking for. Yep. Yeah, it's easy to get people to do what you want. And when you've got them – well, here's the thing about all that. They've also got people – still convinced that the government this cracks me up and i keep saying this too when did people who are really starting to get very suspicious about the government over the past couple decades all of a sudden believe every fucking word that they say because (laughs) they just happen to say there's some terrible disease out there that doesn't fucking exist in the way that they say it does like all of a sudden everything they say should be obeyed uh no masks don't do anything oh no wear a mask oh no wear two masks maybe even three even what they say is inconsistent and the jokes on us i keep saying this if this was a test we failed but jason those are experts <laughs> they're experts in their field dr fauci he knows he knows you don't you didn't go to school for 12 years like he did and and do this for decades and decades that's he true did. i didn't i He's did not get paid millions of dollars to manipulate people i have not that has not happened precisely What's, what's, but yeah, they hold them up as an expert, though. That's the thing that gets you. It's it, People don't seem to think for some reason that these experts could just as be easily be paid off shills than anybody else just because they have some kind of a title or a degree from a, a certain university or something like that. doesn't make them any less prone to sell people out for a, a couple of bucks. What's also killing me is they blatantly stated that this what they're calling a vaccine – it's not a vaccine. We Everybody with half a brain knows it's not a vaccine. And they say that, no, it's not going to change anybody catching it. It's not going to change anybody transmitting it. It's not going to change you having to wear a mask by their orders. It doesn't change the social distancing. It doesn't change what needs to be shot. It changes literally nothing. By their own admission, it, quote unquote, lessens symptoms. Well, who fucking cares? I mean, t- take some dollar store cold medicine then if you want to lessen symptoms. Why on earth are you taking something that they're calling a vaccine when it, at the same time they're admitting that it does nothing and won't change anything? I don't understand that. That's not a vaccine. Vaccines traditionally are meant to inoculate you against an illness. I'm not going to argue about the science about that right now. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just what's supposed to be facts here, whether they're true facts or not. 
but they even tell you that it's not, and yet every ding-dong in the world wants to run out and get this thing shot in their arm. I don't understand. This is unfortunately why I've gotten very despondent about the majority of people. I, I just think that they're retarded. What else can I say? And the way they yep. brag about it, too, they run out to get it, and then they brag about it like they've accomplished something. Yeah, I mean, think about this. Let's go back two years in your mind right now, okay? Now, two years ago, if somebody would have told you, yeah, man, in two years from now, people are going to be running around, I got this experimental uh, medical treatment, and I I got sick, but now I feel better, and I'm glad I got it because now I won't get sick anymore. Think about that. <laughs> it's, it's an experimental medical treatment. It's gene therapy. It's not a vaccine. Uh, just like you said, Jason, in fact, it's th this thing is going to do more harm uh, single-handedly than, uh, you know, much of what they've been doing for the past couple decades. Uh, I could see that happening in the near future. This is going to have all kinds of uh, bad ramifications on the long-term health of people. And we may not see people dropping over from it, keeling over from it right in the beginning here, although it's a couple thousand people now have died from this thing. Uh, but um, yeah, come long term, uh, come 2025, uh, sometime in that window between now and 2025, I think we're going to see a massive rise in illness among people. And it's it's not going to be a good thing because this experimental gene therapy that they're using and they're calling a vaccine. Um, it, it's let's just put it this way. They claim it's not modifying your DNA. And it's not exactly modifying your DNA, but what it's doing is, um, let, let's, I'll, I'll try to put this in a simple way for people, okay? In your body's cells, inside the cell, the nucleus produces DNA, right? This nu nucleus has the DNA in it, and it produces RNA to give commands to your other cells. Well, essentially what they've done is they've taken this phospholipid-coated nanoparticle and put it into your body so that your cell takes it inside of its cytoplasm, and this nanoparticle with this phospholipid coating becomes the new nucleus of the cell and you know, uses the cell's mechanisms to produce these proteins. So it's essentially hijacked the cell in your body and been able to become a machine that manufactures anything they want in your body. Uh, so it, when you look at it this way, it's it's a nanotechnology, and uh, it's replacing the nucleus in your cell. That's exactly what it's doing. It's hijacked your cell that way. So they're correct when they say it doesn't necessarily modify your DNA, seeing as how your DNA is inside the nucleus of the cell, and this thing doesn't penetrate the nucleus. But it, what it does is it takes over as the new nucleus of the cell, and uh, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. So, you know, I would think Sounds twice horrifying. about it. It is horrifying, isn't it? That's exactly what it is. Yep. It's it's hijacked your cells. It's hijacked your cell function. Yeah, what is it that isn't that guy from uh, Star Trek? Didn't he say something like science is science fiction? Somebody asked him, asked William Shatner, who's Captain Kirk. I'm sure most people know that. Uh, just recently, and he's quite elderly now. He's in his late 80s, and this was just a couple years ago, and that guy keeps on ticking. He's friends with, very good friends from what I understand, with Ray Kurzweil, and does a similar program to what Ray does to help with life extension. I'll tell you, he's still pretty sharp, considering he's in his late 80s. <coughs> Excuse me, more sharp than the quote-unquote president, if you want to call old sniffer that. And he was asked at a, a, some kind of conference what's the difference between science and science fiction? And he paused for just a second. He did the William Shatner pause 
and said, well, they're both the same thing. What is that supposed to mean? What does he know that, that he's, he's not telling anybody? And that most of our science is fiction? <laughs> Maybe that's what he means. And I believe it was in reference to something about a black hole, too. But anyway, I you got to wonder if some of these people don't know just a, I don't think that obviously they're on top of the food chain here, but they're, they're probably let into a little bit more of something. I mean, if you're friends with Ray Kurzweil and you hang out with him, you got to wonder what are you figuring out about how things really are going on than, uh, than, than the, the random person on the street kind of thing, you know? I mean, transhumanism is the way, as we all know. That is that is the, the big goal. Oh, no doubt about it. They're moving closer and closer to it every day. Um, and, you know, maybe people think about that in a different kind of way. Like, it, it's not all about, say, robotics or mechanical this or that or necessarily hooking your brain to a computer. It's about hijacking the mechanisms of biology and transforming it into something different and, and merging that with other types of technologies. So uh, when you're, you're looking at it from that point of view, you could see how they've got the groundwork set for that with some of these new therapies uh, that they have out there that they're calling something that it's not. They're calling it a vaccine when it's clearly not a vaccine by dictionary definition. No, it's not. By mainstream, um, by mainstream accounts, have they already um, like taken over and animated small animals? Like, have they taken over the brains of rats and and like made the rats walk in a certain direction or or do? Oh, a specific absolutely! Thing? Yeah, that's, that's crazy. old technology. That's how old? old is, how how long ago did they do they say they started doing that? Uh, probably in the 1990s, and it's probably much older than that if you look at uh, the uh, classified programs uh, and the, the black budget community kind of thing, because usually that's about 30 to 50 years ahead of what's in the mainstream. Yeah, exactly. So so doesn't that mean that already in the 1990s it could be done to humans for sure 100 percent? It probably could be done, but I don't think they had quite enough of the tools in order to implement it at that point yet. Um, it's, it's see what they do first with all of these things is they put them through their paces through the military industrial complex. They try to figure out which ways they could weaponize it and all the possible ways it could be used. And once they figure out all the ways they could weaponize it and use it, then they slowly start to release these into the public domain. That's how this stuff works. So it goes through the military channels first and the, the black budget projects community, uh, that kind of thing first. It's, uh, it's just, called special access programs, yeah. and uh, you have to have different security clearances in order to work with this stuff, and you sign non-disclosure agreements, and uh, usually it's it's through military subcontractors, uh, corporations. That mm-hmm. way they could keep it secret as proprietary information rather than being uh, accessible through Freedom of Information Act requests. That's That's yeah. how these things work. And generally, a lot of these technologies come forward through these programs and are released into the public uh, later on after they've been uh, uh, purposed out through the military industrial complex. And all these things that they put forward in the public domain as technologies are what they call dual use, which means they could have a civilian use or a military application. So even your iPhone has a military application. Uh, make no doubt about that. Uh, all these technologies are dual use. I don't think that they're going to tell people that they've been they've already controlled human brains, but I just don't see why not in the military. If they're doing it to rats, then they've probably done it to at least a human successfully. 
Oh, I have no doubt about that. Yeah, for sure. They're doing it like they're just not doing it like they're not talking about it. But if they're if they've done it to one person, it means they can do it to anybody. Right. It's insane. a, A lot of it is setting up the infrastructure in order to be able to do that stuff, too. And they're rolling that infrastructure out as we speak. And, and that's a lot of the thing, too, because they may have a limited range with certain technologies in order to do these things or, you know, that kind of thing. That's why they want this whole grid. That's why they're trying to cover the world with these, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Those those satellites or whatever, those little CubeSat satellites Starlink? Uh, that they have. Yeah, Starlink, that kind of thing. They give Internet to the world. See, there's a reason for that. That's dual use for sure. That's not because they want everybody to get Wi-Fi everywhere. Like, they give a crap if you could browse the Internet. Like, seriously, think about that. They have other things in mind for that. All right. So let's see. Let's jump down through this article. We'll pick up back up. I don't know if Crower came back or not. I think he's still... I do not sense the Birdman's presence at this time. No, I don't think so. Okay, here we go. The media appear to have exerted a considerable impact on voters' judgments of what they considered the major issues of the campaign, even though the questionnaire specifically asked them to make judgments without regard to what politicians might be saying at the moment. The correlation between the major item emphasis on the main campaign issues carried by the media and voters' independent judgments of what were the important issues was plus .967. I don't actually know what that number means, but... Between minor item emphasis on the main campaign issues and voters' judgments, the correlation was plus 0.979. In short, the data suggests a very strong relationship between the emphasis placed on different campaign issues by the media, reflecting to a considerable degree the emphasis by candidates, and the judgments of voters as to the salience and importance of various campaign topics. So are what they saying that people just bought whatever the media was selling and it didn't actually matter what the the actual issues were uh, with the current events or whatever? Essentially, that's what their data led them to believe. <laughs> Should be pretty telling, right? And what do we have nowadays? I mean, we have everything controlled from the top down, as we've discussed so many times by PR Newswire and, and Business Wire and all those things. We know that it's just hand-delivered to them at this point via digital. It's just like, this is the news stories today. Bleep, read that in your lovely little local accent. You're in Texas? Well, give it that draw, baby. Yeah, and you can see examples of this all across uh, the internet. Just look on YouTube uh, for all the different local newscasts where they're saying exactly the same script, word for word, verbatim, in all these different news markets all across the country and around the world. It's the same thing, and this is what they do. Uh, it's it's how they, they set forward from the top down whatever agenda that they want set for that particular day or time or, you know, for that particular news item. But while the three presidential candidates placed widely different emphasis upon different issues, the judgments of the voters seem to reflect the composite of the mass media coverage. And what that means is they took all the different bits of what the mass media was shoving and put it together and said, well, this is my point of view. Sounds an awful lot like the ridiculous NPC types today who literally just download whatever they're, they're told and then regurgitate it on Twitter. You do have your proper pronouns on Twitter, don't you? Yeah, pronouns, man. That's a, that's a big concern this day and age, you know. <laughs> Not anything else going on in the world. Pronouns, that, that's the important thing. Well, I'm offended. 
<laughs> Good. You, you fit right in then. Jason. I mean, honestly. <laughs> My feelings. These things are important. Good. Now I don't feel alone because I was feeling offended earlier when you guys were talking about racism. And so now you're offended too. So now we're all, you know, feeling better because the more offended that we feel, the more relevant yes. to society we feel. Whose yes, fault is it now, though? Numbers. It's been Trump's fault for the past four years. Who can I blame? Orange man, still bad. You can still blame him. They're still trying to blame him for stuff. It's his fault Biden fell up the stairs, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> this suggests that voters pay some attention to all the political news, regardless of whether it is from or about any particular favored candidate. Because the tables we have seen reflect the comp composite of all the r respondents, it is possible that individual differences reflected in party preferences and in a predisposition to look mainly at material favorable to one's own party, well, that's definitely true, are lost by lumping all the voters together in the analysis. Now, if I'm reading this correctly, I think things are very different now. The Democratic Party trotted out an obviously senile old man who is on camera being a child predator multiple times, not to mention all of the with facts accusations against his family being complete piece of shit criminals. And supposedly a zillion people still backed this person up just because he was a Democrat and never Trump. Now, I'm not pro any of these people, but that was appalling to me when I saw people who were defending old sniffer. Well, the rules are changed now, Jason. That, that's the one thing you got to understand. The rules are changed. They've thrown this whole idea of really trying to uh, convince the people that we have a, a legitimate two-party system. They've thrown that out the window. Uh, they've shown us in no uncertain terms they're just going to do what they want to do and put whoever in the position that they want, regardless of what the people think, and then they're going to claim otherwise, that this is vastly who the people wanted. And they're going to do that through whatever illegitimate methods that they can. And they've made that abundantly clear to us. Your vote means nothing. They, they've made that abundantly clear in this last election. Uh, they're, they're not even trying to hold up the facade of the two-party system anymore. Uh, I think they're aware that people are waking up to the idea that, you know what, maybe this whole, uh, you know, left and right paradigm thing, maybe these two parties are actually working together to do stuff. Yeah, against us. Right. That's the thing. And I, I think that it's it's really kind of mind numbing for people when they come to the realization that the reality that they've been presented and they believed all their lives isn't true. And that you actually have these sick psychopaths uh, up there in positions of government that are plotting against you. When you come to that realization, uh, it's it, it's kind of chilling. And it, it's a lot of people get stuck there. And they freeze, and they don't know what to do with this information. So they cling even harder to the left-right paradigm, and they cling even harder to this uh, other savior figure that they've adopted for themselves. You know, orange-type savior figures and things like that. And, <laughs> and and they believe utter nonsense from psyops put out there in order to keep them on the hook, uh, just to keep them committed to that idea, so that they have uh, a fall guy to blame when things go wrong see and that's kind of the whole thing they've, they've divided this into the two segments it's either you're uh an american and you're you know 
you're you're good with diversity and you you like all of these things and you're you're tolerant of different people's views and uh you you believe in helping people and that all people need help sometimes and that it's good to give all your tax money to the government so that they could help these people and do all these programs or you're one of these uh QAnon supporters and and you're a conspiracy nut job and you think this and that and you even tried to do an insurrection in the capital to take over the government by the way worst insurrection in world history guys <laughs> so but uh that's beside the point but that that's kind of what they're trying to do they're trying to outline this new dichotomy see wait but wayne uh, it looked fabulous though everybody's like you know if your right side looked best then the camera was on the right <laughs> side and the lighting was so good everything was captured so in terms amazing, of visuals it? it was it was not it, it was a success, but other than that, I would say not very impressive. Yeah, man. I mean, if th this is, you know, how they organized an insurrection, well, they were kind of dumbasses because they forgot their guns, didn't they? Uh, <laughs> I don't know too many patriot groups that would go anywhere without their guns, let alone do an insurrection. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, come on. What kind of retarded nonsense is this that they're trying to push on us? But th this is all part and parcel of what they're doing. See, they've they've kind of changed up the dynamic here. OK, so now they're trying to convince you you're either Democrat and you're, you know, a liberal that's that's for opening up the borders and self-destructing this country and all of these other things that are self-destructive to humanity in general uh, under the name of tolerance. Um, or you're one of these nut jobs, these far right wing nut job, racist uh, um, bigots and, and that kind of thing. See, they've created this new dichotomy out of it. So now uh, they've kind of made it. Uh, public shame to relate as a Republican. But by and large, there's a lot of people that still kind of consider themselves Republican and have these more conservative viewpoints in this country. But it's getting to be to the point where, uh, you know, they're becoming the minority because of the news media pushing these liberal agendas. And that's kind of where it's at. So they're, they're steering this. They're targeting the next generation and the generation afterwards with these ideas. It's not so much the ones that are here now, like our generation. We, we know things we know we've lived a little and we've seen the world a different way, but the ones that are coming up now, they're going to think there's 327 different genders and they're going to think that that's perfectly normal and okay. And they're going to think that, uh, you know, it's it's fine that there shouldn't be national borders or national sovereignty anywhere, and they should think that they shouldn't have the right to defend themselves. They should depend upon the police state to come defend them if they wind up in trouble. Uh, the, see, these are the kind of things. These are self-destructive behaviors that these people are pushing, and that's kind of where they're they're changing up the dynamic here slightly. Uh, it's always been the Hegelian dialectic, the control mechanism. Uh, but now they've they've completely removed the premise that people have any say whatsoever in what's going on. And it's a slow rollout process for changing up this dynamic. So people aren't fully catching on to that idea yet. Uh, so we'll see what happens come the next presidential election cycle. I'm curious to see uh, what kind of a potato they roll out at then. So <laughs> it's it's interesting to see. But if people will really buy into that or not. Time will tell, you know? Yeah, I'm with you, man. I keep wondering what's the next step with, with the uh, the transhumanist agenda, though. It's, I mean, they're, they're trying to pretend like this is the same old politics that it's always been. And 
whether people realize it or not, 2021 is the future. They try and convince us that things are the same way they were 50 years ago, but it, that's just not true. So where do we go from here? What what's going to happen? Like when when do things start coming out in the open? I guess we could say that uh, well, changes everything. Front door locks. Front door locks. People will be willing to interface their hand with technology in order for the convenience of locking their car, going in the house. I think that it's going to have to do with people's hands. Well, once we go to digital identity and digital currency and, uh, you know, uh, these uh, biometric type measures, uh, when your bank account and your social behavior, your social credit score, everything's all tied together into one database that knows who you are and where you are at all given times, that's the beginning of the end. Uh, that's that's in my view. So, okay, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like they... when you can't pay your bill for the first time, that's when you really know it's out in the open. Oh, you can't pay your bill because you're uh, you're Rose Triple Seven's girlfriend. Uh, Rose Triple Seven is your girlfriend, so you can't pay your bill because that takes your social credit score down. That's when it the really makes it obvious. Well, well, see, that's the thing. When they start making it so you can't buy the necessities you need to live because you did something that, uh, say, is anti-government or spoke out against uh, a government official or something. Like you said, uh, Joe Biden is an old sniffer. He's old sniffer. He's a zombie. Uh, he's, you know, he's a potato. He's, he's, you know, a senile old man. He gropes children. You said stuff like that. Well, that's going to cause a drop in your social credit score. And eventually, if your points drop low enough, then they'll lock out your bank account. So now you can't purchase anything. So you can't buy food to live. So you better wise up and do some good deeds so that you can get access back to your money. See, and that's that's kind and of that's how why they're doing everything that's digital. The direction it's going, right? That's exactly why everything's going digital, and this whole vaccine nonsense ties together with it too, whether people want to believe it or not. No, I mean, it absolutely is. I've talked, I've talked ad nauseum about this stuff for the longest time, and if people don't want to take the time or effort to actually take a look and see that there is a connection there between vaccines and digital currency and vaccine passports and uh you know biometric uh, data tracking and all these different things well that's on them at this point i mean the data is out there it's public domain you could look at it you could look up uh patent number 060606 uh patented by bill gates and gavi and you could look at the programs they're rolling out in africa right now to uh put a digital tracker on a vaccine in africa uh you know these kind of things. It's out there. It's in the public domain. It's not conspiracy theory. It's not conjecture. These are real technologies that exist right now, and uh, they're they're tied directly to this whole agenda when it comes down to it, and people don't want to believe it because it violates their cognitive dissonance. But uh, it doesn't make it any less true, does it? it? I mean, this stuff's out there. This is the direction they're going. And like I said, I've talked ad nauseum about this stuff. And at this point, if people don't get it or don't want to even take the time to maybe look into it, well, that's on them. I've done my job. I'm just putting the warning out there. I'm a messenger, nothing more. Uh, so if people don't want to take it seriously, that's their prerogative. Uh, I don't expect people to believe anything I ever say. Go look it up for yourself. You might be shocked what you find. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. And this, of course, is, is one of my favorite subjects because I think – it's so important. All the social engineering is leading us to this 
transhumanism thing, but the good stuff isn't for us. I don't think it's ever going to be for us unless something changes. This is all about, just like you were saying, the reason why everything is going digital. People have to understand why is this all going digital? Why the push for everything? Why getting everybody used to everything digital? Because digital is not real world, physical, tangible, or analog, whatever word you want to use. These are things that can be be controlled by the flip of a switch in software somewhere that you have no control over whatsoever. Every single device you use, no matter what it is, that software, that operating system is controlled from somewhere else should someone desire it. And yeah, it no could doubt. be trolled too. You oh, you accidentally said trolled instead of controlled, but you, it could be trolled and controlled. Oh yeah, both. <laughs> or it could be hijacked by a third party. And that that's the other thing. I mean, that, that's a real threat as well. Uh, say you have some kind of a microchip implant or something, or you have a medical device. Uh, like, say, uh, right now there's pacemakers. I mean, this, this is an undeniable thing. Well, it doesn't take much. They could actually now put a chip in that and connect it to your smartphone so that, uh, you know, if you need to uh, uh, hit the hit the button for whatever reason to uh, or or check the status of your pacemaker or whatever to see, uh, you know, if it's controlling your beats per minute correctly, or if you need to increase your beats for, per minute or whatever, that that uh, utility exists. Now, somebody could hack that, a third party, and that creates a new type of cybercrime that uh, many of these government agencies and think tank groups and stuff are very aware of, and they're worried about. But uh, at the same token, uh, I don't think necessarily hackers are the ones that are the biggest worry when this stuff rolls out. Uh, and that's just one example. Now, now take that to the next level when there's something else, some other type of a device uh, that controls, say, say you have seizures, say you have a seizure disorder, and they could put a, a, a chip in your head that regulates these seizures. And you could track it with your smartphone and and uh, you could control it with your smartphone. If you have some kind of a seizure or something, you could hit the button on your smartphone and it'll give you a, your brain a little electric shock and stop the seizure. Well, that's, that's a technology that could be hacked or it could, be, uh, it could have a back door installed in it, which I assure you it probably will by the manufacturer. And that could be controlled by uh, some other party uh, within that uh, said corporation or whatever. So... Like there, there's a lot of things to to think about with this whole concept, and a lot of different directions to go. And these are just very primitive versions of this I'm talking about right now. Uh, these are existing technologies, and uh, they could be utilized in many different ways. So, we've we've kind of gone through the majority of what what this document says, and I think the point has been made. Let's take this further. Uh, you're obviously continuing your your research, and and your focus is always on transhumanism to one degree or another. Tell me what where you see this going. I, I know I have the general review, uh, or excuse me, the general view that everything is going to be tied together digitally and the, the quote-unquote vaccine is just another one of those things. But what have you come across? You're the one who almost always brings these very interesting papers, whether it's from last year, 10 years ago, or f- sometimes 40, 50 years ago, and it's still relevant today, eerily enough. But what have you come across? Let's let's talk about some of what we can foresee coming, especially in the light that they seem to just be going for it. This great reset, which is just the new world order with different lipstick on, all this stuff. What have you come across? Let's talk about it. 
Well, basically, it'll be a slow transition. Uh, they they consider us to be cyborgs already. Okay, and many of these people that think about this stuff, like Kurzweil and others, um, even Elon Musk has come out and said, uh, we're already cyborgs. The only difference is the input-output capability. Uh, so, like, you, you have your smartphone. A lot of people wear, like, a smart watch or something, tracks their heart rate and this kind of thing. Uh, you could look at that information in your smartphone. Uh, and this could be broadcast or transmitted to a third party somewhere, like some kind of a health management uh, type of place. And that's probably the next place they're going. They're actually planning on revamping the entire healthcare system uh, to accommodate this transhumanist paradigm. Uh, I've seen think tank papers on that. And I think we might have actually covered that at one point here. Or maybe we were planning on covering it and never quite did. It's called uh, the Triangle of Health Medicine or something like that. It's the name of the paper. And it's from the Alberta Heritage Foundation. And it talks about uh, this very thing, switching up the, the medical care model from a model of, uh, say, disease treatment to an enhancement model uh, where people will basically want to have different enhancements, not necessarily because they have uh, some type of a disability, but that's where it'll start. It'll start as using these cybernetic enhancements and these uh, transhumanist enhancements to help people with a disability. And then from there, it goes on to ask the ethical question, well, if we could do this for a disabled person and give them the ability to perform beyond human capabilities, normal human capabilities, shouldn't we make this available ethically to uh, you know, humanity at large? And the question, the answer to that question would be yes, according to them. So they're trying to transition this into an enhancement uh, type of a medical system. And that's the kind of things that they talk about. So I could see this slowly rolling out, coming down the pike here, where you're going to start to see, uh, you know, more invasive type technologies coming to be. Uh, it's going to start out with wearables. That's what they're talking about right now, wearables. So if you have one of those smart watches or whatever that tracks your heart rate, your Fitbit or something like that, that's the start of it. They could track other things with that Fitbit. Now, uh, Right now, they only track a select couple things on there that they make available to you through the app and stuff like that, which connects directly with your phone from this. But uh, rest assured, the sensors and stuff they have in those are reading far more than just your heart rate and the number of steps you're taking and that kind of thing. Uh, and this, this information is actually going to a third party. So, And you don't necessarily know who that third party is. And <laughs> that's the scary part. So, I mean, they're doing this stuff now, and it's only going to get, uh, like, more invasive, and uh, it's going to invade your privacy more as time goes on. And eventually, it's going to get to the point where uh, we're talking uh, being connected to the Internet of Things, the Internet of Thoughts, the Internet of Bodies. These are all things, and that's stuff that we've gone over on this show before, too. We, we did the paper on the Internet of Bodies, and I think we did... Uh, one of the papers on it, the Internet of Thoughts. If not, it's one we should probably look at sometime soon. But, uh, I mean, all these things are what I see coming down the pike. They're talking about them, and they have their golden boy, Elon Musk, out there in the forefront talking about this stuff. And he's just the poster boy. Uh, there's, there's other people and other groups that are working on these technologies that are much further along than he is with his Neuralink product. But... Uh, this is the one that's getting the mainstream attention, okay, because he's he's their golden boy. 
is the one that they chose to put out there as the puppet on the string to bring people into this whole idea. And he's the one that has largely been out there saying, we need to do something about artificial intelligence. If we don't merge with it, it's going to destroy us. And that's why he's pushing for this whole uh, brain-computer interface thing, this Neuralink. That's that's one of the main aspects of that he's doing. And I, I said a couple years ago when I was on Crow's show, uh, when I first uh, brought out my new, it was actually before I, I brought out my autism book, I said, I'm going to make a prediction here. Uh, within the next year, year and a half, two years or so, you're going to see somebody come out and say that they're going to be able to uh, effectively cure autism through one of these type of implants. And sure enough, I think it was 2019, sometime mid to late 2019, Elon Musk said he thinks Neuralink will be able to solve the problem of autism. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> this is the direction this stuff's going. Uh, so, like, uh, I've done enough research and in looking into these things and reading these papers and, you know, the works of these guys, like, uh, you know, uh, what's his name, Kurzweil, and these different ones, the ideas that they have and the things they want to do, and they're always going to try and roll it out as being, like, beneficial medically for people first. And then from there, they're going to push beyond the borders of just using it uh, as a, a medical treatment and do it as an enhancement technology. And that's what they're looking for. They want to become Superman. They want to be the Ubermensch. They want to become God in no uncertain terms. And they see the use of these transhumanist technologies as the fruition of that. And I've tied all these ideas clear back to the ancient mystery schools. It's a perversion of some of the ideas they originally taught there, but it's definitely the same idea. And this is what they view as their great work. This is the great work to become immortal, to live forever, have total absolute control of everything and be all powerful to be God. It's the promise of the book of Genesis uh, to be as gods. It's it's the lie, the great lie that the serpent uh, gave to Eve in the Garden of Eden to be as gods. And that's what they're looking for. They want to become God and they see this as being their path to do so. And they see this as a fulfillment of many of these ancient esoteric ideas. So uh, that's that's the direction I see it going. It's going to be a slow creep for a while there for the next couple decades, but eventually it's gonna to get to be a normal thing where people have say, you know, uh, bionic limbs and these kind of ideas, things like that, prosthetics. Neuroprosthetics, that's another big one that's coming. Uh, neuroprosthetics. Meaning that you be, can feel uh, them, that kind of thing, like it's tied into your brain directly? It's it's a def, it's a, a prosthetic for your brain. It'll create a, a neocortex of sorts for you and connect your brain directly to the internet. So you'll be able to access all information at all times. That's that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying neuroprosthetics. And they'll they'll use this ostensibly to uh, uh, cure things like Alzheimer's and autism and many of these different disorders in people, and as treatments for that. But uh, you know, there's other things they have in mind with it, but that's that's neuroprosthetics. This would be any device that you could hook to your brain that could increase your intellect capacity. So, and I think that would have been I think that would have been episode 152 when you said that, if not 109. Was that the first one? Um, might have been 125. That's the one that I did about uh, autism before I wrote the book. Oh. It was when I was in the writing phase of the book. Mm, right. 
Okay, well, I won't forget that. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I've done so many episodes with you guys now that uh, it's hard to keep track of them all. Well, plus what so, we do every yeah, week. I can't so. keep track anymore. There's too many Wayne McCroy episodes that I can't even uh, keep track. I could kind of memorize the numbers, but like specifically what was said in each and every one, there's so many that relate to each other, whether it's like the fourth industrial revolution to vaccines or, you know, esoteric alchemy. It's just it all interrelates with each other. So anyway, by the way, everyone should check out all the episodes with Wayne. Um, yeah, there's a lot tied to the whole narrative so I mean it, it's amazing how these things all tie together in some way shape or form all right so what, let's let's do a, a game here uh, it's called let's let's see what things look like in 10 years so do you think Neuralink will have their shit together by then that it's a um, what would you say a common consumer item by that point in 10 years I would say it's probably not going to be a common consumer item it might be more of a medical innovation at that point uh, used to uh, maybe alleviate things like paralysis of different limbs, those kind of things, maybe Alzheimer's treatment, uh, these type of things, possibly autism as well. Uh, it might be a kind of thing for autism or schizophrenia. Uh, you might see some biomedical applications uh, for psychological use for different things like that. Um, that's what I'm thinking will be the first rollout of that kind of thing within the next 10 years. Um, beyond that, I don't think we're getting to the point where it's, uh, say, like uh, Ready Player One-like until <laughs> maybe 15, 20 years from now. Um, and at that point, you'll be able to just jack in into the game in your head uh, without like leaving your chair or anything and, and just play in a digital world in your mind. Uh, that kind of thing at that point. And a lot of it will probably be geared towards gaming and stuff like that in the beginning. Uh, but uh, that's that's not the ultimate use of it. But that's one of the ways that they'll control people. They'll keep them sectioned off into these little digital sub-realities uh, where they could just exist um, in these digital worlds, playing their games or keeping themselves occupied, uh, however it may be. And they'll probably use that as a method for harvesting some type of... Uh, a crypto dollar of sorts I, I would suspect that they would use that um, that electrical impulse that people would put into this per se in, into this game in their gaming to uh, kind of feed into that type of a scenario and further enrich corp corporations and stuff like that uh, I would suspect that's where that would go first so I think Crow's back too but this is why we're always warning about what the dangers of digital truly are. As I said, that with all the back doors, do you want someone having a back door into your brain in, well, whatever, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is. Does everybody remember that in the 80s, there was this huge push for uh, this sort of, I guess cyberpunk is the general term for the genre. But this concept of that the corporations rule, there's no more real governments. If they are, they're very minor com in comparison to the governments. And everything was about the advancement of uh, what can you do to advance yourself uh, physically and, and the jacking in thing and all that. There was Neuromancer, Blade Runner is an example, but there's tons of them. And it's like it laid the groundwork for what's coming and uh, as crow and i always joke i mean so soon all governments are going to be taco bell right yeah man it's it's the way it is it's the corporations run the show it's just they're taking the uh 
the veil off now and showing you how it really is. Um, for all this time, they've had these quote-unquote governments up there being in charge, but it's always been the corporations behind the veil running things. See, yeah, it's just this, this facade. An alternative view to what you said, Wayne? Sure. Okay, so I think that while it would be possible with it within 10 years to do that kind of cool healing, like healing paralyzed limbs and stuff, I think that that's going to be like a dangling carrot in front of people and that even in 10 years, nothing with this interfacing of technology is going to do anything helpful for the consumer, but they're going to show that it's possible by using maybe celebrities or maybe a few select disabled people. Oh, you're right and, on target, Rose. Yeah, you're, and not, then, you're not off base at all. You're right on target with that because that's yeah. exactly, th this won't be a technology that's affordable for your average person. And it's not going to be something that the insurance is going to cover for you. No, as I said, me they're, medical they're planning is an upgrade. for that. Right. right. Medical as an upgrade. Right. But the, I mean, people are going to think it's possible, and that's why they're going to upgrade their own little personal technologies to the point where all of a sudden they're going to be interfacing with technology more than they ever could have imagined because of, like, the false hope that it's going to help them when really all it's going to do is keep hurting them over and over and over again. And then some of them aren't even going to realize what's hurting them. Right. Or not only that, the other possibility with that is they could give you this innovation that really does help you, but then they have the power to turn it off for whatever reason. Like, say, your social credit score drops. Well, guess what? You don't get to walk today. Uh, or, you know, your bank account, you stopped paying your bill to them because I'm sure there will be a monthly service fee involved with this because they have to do software updates and stuff like that. Uh, so you don't pay your bill. So they shut off your service. So you can't walk today. See, it's really kind of a devious thing, and they will use it as a carrot to dangle in front of people. You're absolutely correct. That's exactly what they're doing with it now. See, they, they're offering all this promise uh, to all these many people that have these really legitimate issues that they deal with, and they're giving them this false hope that they'll be able to do this. But there's always a caveat, isn't there? There's always strings attached to all these things that they put out there, and that's the bottom line of it all. So... And the other thing is you might not be able to say, if you want to get this cybernetic upgrade, well, sign over all your property rights to us and, you know, we'll take care of you. We'll give it to you then. And, you know, gave up your right to uh, bear arms and we'll give it to you. It's the same thing they're doing with uh, legalized marijuana in a lot of places. Like here in Pennsylvania, you could have medical marijuana right now. You could You could get a medical marijuana card, but you can't own firearms if you have one. See, it's the same kind of thing. So here, here's a little something that'll help you. But in order to get this, this uh, thing that'll help you, you have to give up something else. You have to give up some other right. And uh, that might even be your bodily autonomy when it comes down to it with something like that. So you're absolutely spot on with that. I don't deny that at all. Uh, but uh, I could see them actually trying to introduce this in this innovative medical way within the next 10 years or so. Uh, this is probably where they'll start with it by rolling it out this way this celebrity like you said yeah. they always use celebrities yep. was able to walk because of this neural implant that they got and they've already yeah. started rolling some of this stuff out well at some it's point it's gonna be the christopher they, reeves foundation or something well they've made, they've made movies already about this guys it's i would expect that at some point if we stay on this trajectory by the way they're already trying to close hospitals in the state i'm in 
um, on the back of COVID. I guess they weren't as busy as they claimed. Um, but what you see is if you can't afford to upgrade your liver and your liver is sick, well, you couldn't afford the upgrade. So in a way, medical care becomes an upgrade for fee. Um, and everything about medical care begins to be viewed as upgrades. In other words, we got all this technology. We can make a liver that lasts longer than you will. Can you afford it? Um, and by the way, if you can't, then you're stuck with the defective one you were born with. Right. And or someone with a social credit score can nominate you so that you're eligible. You know, someone has to vouch for you or something like that. Oh, yeah. All these things are definitely possibilities with it. And it, it's all things that I'm sure the bioethicists and stuff have had meetings Bi about. Bioethicists, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, bioethicist. Yeah, I know that is a good one, isn't it? But that's what they call themselves. And they think they're oh so smart, don't they? And they're they oh so care about people. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I digress about that. Point, so can you give the definition of a bioethicist? This would be somebody who determines if it's ethical to do something uh, in terms of biology or not, like, yeah, uh, like doing some kind of an enhancement. What's that? It's like Gattaca, like in the in the movie Gattaca, how everyone was being genetically modified. And it I feel like that film was about bioethics. Oh, that yeah. I mean, overwhelming theme of that film, because they were the people that didn't have that. And so they were treated like second second class citizens. That was a version of Brave New World in a way. It was almost a caste system. So yeah. you were allowed to be special if you were casted correctly. And so the guy, the main star, Ethan Hawke, was of a lower caste and faked his way into a higher caste to prove, you know, we can do everything you can. We just don't have the genetics. Amazing how all these things turn up again and again and again in fiction going back for hundreds of years, isn't it? Well, the new one is post-apocalyptic views. That's what's been getting pushed hard behind the zombie thing, um, which are both probably going to come to pass at some level. Yeah. Well, we're already seeing the zombie thing, aren't we? I mean, if you don't do yeah. what the masses want, which is right now wear a mask, take a vaccine, all that kind of thing, well, then there's something wrong with you and you need to be ostracized. I, there's three older people in my neighborhood um, that have taken the vaccine and each of them got really, really sick um, when they took the second dose. Well, that's yeah, not I don't really doubt it. <laughs> it's that's the other thing that the media covers up these reports, but they're out there. I mean, that people are having these severe reactions to this thing. They cover it up. They don't want to put it out there, so they won't talk about it. They'll just say it's always oh, a very rare thing if you have a, a reaction to it. <laughs> no, it's a lot more prevalent than what they say. That's for sure. The Amish the reported ones. Yeah, the Amish are going to start looking pretty good to a lot of us. And that's say. because they're not going to be all screwed up. Well, oh, they already probably. are not all screwed up. <laughs> They'll be working godly examples of what we once tried to be. All right, guys, we're winding down here. Anybody want to throw out any uh, final thoughts? Uh, I would say just... Uh... You know, take your time, look into these things on your own. Don't take anything I have to say or Jason has to say or Rose or Crow for that matter. Uh, don't take what we're saying to be a truth. Uh, go and look for yourself. Make your own decisions. Use your own mind. 
Look at things with your own mind. Use your own brain. Think things through. Use a little logic and common sense and uh, look at the information that's out there. Like all this stuff's public domain. It's, it's not hard to find. You just have to look for it and be willing to put a little time into researching it or reading about this stuff. It's out there. So I would say just don't go out there and, like, you know, take what the media says to you at face value. If, if there's any lesson to be learned, it's exactly that. Don't believe what the media tells you. Go look for yourself. Yep. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right. So tonight, Crow and I, I assume tonight, Crow, are we dropping the episode tonight? Yeah. All right, so that will be with Mr. Austin Walters. I'm not jumping ahead, right? No. No. So our... There's one thing I would like to add. I just want to encourage people to remember that you don't want to sacrifice certain things for convenience. It was a big mistake I made a lot when I was younger, and I wish that I understood that cause and effect, the effect isn't always immediate. Sometimes the effect is delayed. And so it's just sometimes not worth it. So I guess going into this transhumanist thing, you might be wondering if something's worth it, like getting on the plane, maybe I'll just get that vaccine. It's just not, it's not worth it. Just stick to stick to being a human being and know who you are. Absolutely. All right. And before I, mean, I forget, don't, don't, don't trade your soul for goods and services. Is that what you're <laughs> That has a familiar <laughs> vibe. That's to a more it. succinct way of saying it, Crow. Thank you. So anyway, yeah, we're dropping uh, Austin Walters tonight on Crow Triple Seven Radio. He, he's uh, this is his second time back. He is a biomagnetism healer, or a, uh, is there another term he uses as well, or is it just biomagnetism? Yeah, bi- biomagnetism covers it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he gives an update and everything he's been doing going through uh, with his wife. So hopefully, people will. Uh, Listen hard to that one. That, that was kind of rough hearing what he had to say, you know, especially in hour two when he really went into detail. But that's tonight. And, uh, of course, this weekend, uh, Rose and I will be at the Solar Return Festival. We're leaving tomorrow morning to get to South Carolina. Hopefully I'll see a whole lot of you folks there. That's going to be cool. So, uh, all right. That's going to do it for us, guys. I hope you enjoyed this show. Have a great one. Take care.